0: The path of least resistance is what a lot of us want to go for. We want to get that application in, get those documents and get them approved, get them signed and you know, work the deal and get an introduction and move on to the next deal. But we have to insert those processes and in there saying this is the way it works. And this is why I'm using this system, because I want to make sure that your documents and your information is secure. So, yeah, using a system like Finmo with the smart documents is a smart idea because it's password protected on both sides. That's really important, and then only downloading what you need to. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your
1: host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, i Joe Tompkins. Joe is a mortgage broker as well as a technical trainer and integration specialist at Finmo. thought we would get him on and talk about technology, about AI. We talked about mortgage brokers and the security risks that mortgage brokers are taking. We talked about bank account scraping. We talked about what he's seeing and is excited about in terms of technology. We talked about where he stays up to date on technological trends and just some ideas that we have around technology and mortgage brokers in general. Also in this episode, I talked to Ben McCabe from Bloom Finance about where to find reverse mortgage leads. Before I jump into that, I gotta give a shout out to our title sponsor Finmo. Finmo's a Canadian mortgage application, document collection submission platform that is very easy for borrowers to use. So as the borrower is filling out the app, auto-magically knows what documents to ask for. And when they hit the submit button, they get the list of documents and they can literally upload them right away. And we've been noticing more and more people are actually doing that, which saves you time. Second thing is it's got Lender Spotlight, which has got all the rates and guidelines. It's a fantastic tool for figuring out where do I put my file? And then finally, when you go to hit submit, it's got lender submission notes, smart submission notes that pulls key data so the lenders can decide on your file quicker and get you an answer quicker. If you're interested, check them out at com slash finmo. I'm gonna check out this conversation with Joe. Hey Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. So hey, tell me a
0: little bit about yourself and how you got into the mortgage biz. Ooh. I was finishing my degree in 2002-2003 and my brother needed help. My brother Steve was a mortgage broker and uh, he was getting busy and he needed help with his database and database management and I was a geek. Once a geek, always a geek. And so I jumped in to help him organize it and do stuff and next thing you know I'm helping him clean up his files and organize and I finished my degree and took the mortgage broker course. I loved the business and uh, so I was working for him for Up until 2007, when I bought them out,
1: right? Okay, so tell me about. So you have a very strong background in tech and understanding of sort of how all that and processes. And so we'll talk about those things. So, have you always had that like interest in the technology piece as well as process, or is that something that
0: you developed over time? Yeah. So technology for sure. It's part of my former life from the Canadian Army. I was a technician, electronics technician and just loved it And the processes we were taught for working on kit and taking things apart and putting them back together and fault finding and problem solving was awesome so i took that and then when you get into the brokering world i saw how my brother and how he mentored me and he had his processes for doing things and he was a big believer in write everything down Whatever you're successful at, write it down and repeat it. And his go-to line was, it's not rocket science, Joe. So that led to me starting a notepad of do this at this time and do this then. And this worked. And yeah, and then so the processes and technology, they just married together eventually just made sense to do it. So I got some
1: questions that I want to ask you around technology in the mortgage space. And so what have you seen change the most in the mortgage space in the last few years? I mean, you've been in the business for a while, just like me, but
0: what have you noticed has been some of the biggest changes that have been for the good? Through COVID and everything that happened, I think people realized that their time is better spent providing a solution to their clients that is easy for them to use. Meeting online given people the option to, um, and we only have that option for a while, you know, by lots of people did it by phone. Now, video conferencing, if I tell clients, you know, when I was a mortgage broker, do you want to meet online on video chat or do you want to come into the office? There's always, oh, we'll come into the office. Now it's like, oh, do you mind if we do it from home, right? And that's what I'm hearing from everybody is that it's just the convenience. And so with convenience comes, how do you make it easier for the client to do an application, to collect documents? So, the flow down from the top and I you know from the top I talk about the regulators and lenders and what we hear from them it's security documentation security and processes and what systems are you using and I'm hearing all that from from my side of the business being on the tech side now is they want to know that the systems we're using are secure and where we're storing stuff is secure and we're following the guidelines and you know, The mortgage brokering business has always been a little bit of the Wild West where we have so much access to so many different lenders and options, but we never really had to follow a strict guideline as to what systems we use in our business and what security settings. So you would see people using Gmail and Hotmail and... You know, Apple Mail, all these different things. But now you've you really got to focus, and you've got to make sure that your business is your business, and you treat it like that. And you use systems that are secure and provide a easy, good solution for your clients. And I think that's where I've seen the big change is that from the smallest brokers to the biggest brokerages, they're realizing that that is important. We need to have some good systems in place that we own and we control.
1: Right. So Tommy, but what do you think is the biggest security risk that brokers and boarders are taking, and maybe not even aware of the risks? that you see and then what's question one is what are the risks and then question two is how do you mitigate or eliminate them if it's possible
0: yeah uh, fishing attacks Emails. done that
1: down for me. Is that like, hey, I'm a Nigerian prince. I got twenty yeah. million dollars, and is that like a fishing Yeah, paper? it's, it's the point. it's the modern day version of. By that, the way, right? I've never got my money. I've sent my bank account info <laughs> several times, and I've had no luck. <laughs> I was always sad I never got one, and I got one one day. I'm like, where's this Nigerian prince, man? Like, no, why was he a you Nigerian? Know, and he needs somebody he trusts that he just randomly met on the internet. I'm like, here's the thing: those things they must have worked sometimes, or they would not have done them. Like. It exactly. would
0: have kept going, right? So it may be a
1: small percentage of the population, but somebody was falling for
0: this whole. Oh, aspect. absolutely! You know, they just have a room full of people on the phone and doing it, right? And so, if one out of a thousand a number, they know it's a numbers game. You know, it is and absolutely they don't care. Thousands it's like it's like lead generation people. in the mortgage business, right? I mean, you just it's a numbers game. You know, you might close ten percent of those, but I think the issue is security of documentation. So whether your clients are emailing you docs where you're storing the documents, who has access to the documents, that sort of thing. That's to me is the biggest risk where you kind of cringe when you see somebody and where they're storing their things. It's like, gotta be better. We have to be better with where we're storing our consumer information.
1: I have some understanding of this, but certainly not as much as you, but so where shouldn't brokers be storing docs? Where are some places that we may think are safe, but aren't really, or not compliant, not safe
0: or not compliant or both? You know what? On your computer, first of all, if you're using a laptop and you're saving your documents on your desktop or in a folder on your computer, I mean, you better have biometric login capabilities on that computer and you can't just open it up and poof, there's your desktop and you can see all the information on there. You need to be using enterprise level cloud storage. So Google Workplace, Office 365, Dropbox Enterprise, those sort of things need to be used And only use one. I've seen so many people that will be, you know, have a Google Workplace account with Google Drive, and then they will pay for a Dropbox Enterprise account as well. So, redundancy is a big thing that I always catch. But yeah, so for storage, it's if you have to download them to your computer, have a temporary spot where you store them and have a routine of cleaning that out weekly and making sure it's backed up and stored on your secure cloud storage somewhere. Google Workplace is fine, you think? Google Workplace is fine. They've put in uh, lots of provisions for multi-factor authentication, you know, for logging in and for what devices you use, and you can run a security check whenever you want. I'm flagged to do it monthly, so I do it monthly and I've set up that reminder for our brokerage as well to, you know, do a Google mm-hmm. security check, make sure that there's no unauthorized access to your apps.
1: And then, okay, so any other th- areas where brokers are taking risks and maybe not being aware of it or how they send documents? So like obviously use an online portal, like something like FINMO or some yeah. other upload platforms mm-hmm. uh, versus just emailing documents is obviously preferred, but any other things that you think?
0: Yeah, obviously FINMO and the smart documents and, you know, the path of least resistance is what a lot of us want to go for. We want to get that application in, get those documents and get them approved, get them signed and you know, work the deal and get an introduction and move on to the next deal. But we have to insert those processes and in, in there saying, this is the way it works. And this is why I'm using this system, because I want to make sure that your documents and your information is secure. So yeah, using a system like Finmo with the smart documents is a smart idea because it's password protected on both sides. That's really important. And then only downloading what you need to. Another great feature that... People need to be taken advantage of, I think, is like the bank account scraping where you can. Like, if a customer is doing a purchase, the client can log into Flinks, F-Links, through the you know, service that we have in FINMO. They can download their bank statements right into the deal. So there's no actual downloading of documents onto a computer, then uploading them to email or uploading them into a server. They just come directly from the bank right into that deal for you. And that's a big deal. And that's, again, reducing the amount of touches on it. and. Strive Mortgages, who are great to work with. Uh, they worked with our lender team over at Lendesk and they accept documents right on submission now. And the important thing about that is, is for them, you know, think about it from a banking and lending side of things, the least amount of touches possible on a document from the time that the client provides it to the broker to the lender is what they want to see. They don't want to see stuff downloaded, then uploaded, then downloaded, then uploaded, and pulled apart and put back together. They want to see complete packages as quickly as possible upfront with the least amount of So time. you're saying Strive has the ability through
1: Finmo, you guys hit a button and when you hit this application, the docs come at the same time? Mm-hmm. In
0: Finmo, if you review the documents and you accept the job letter, paste up all the documents, et cetera, when you go to submit it to Strive, it shows you in the submission section saying, hey, do you want to submit these documents through to Strive? Yeah, please, I do. So that right. under right into that deal portal gets... All those documents immediately on submission. And then if you get new documents afterwards, you just go back into that submission and resubmit those follow up documents right away. And it goes right into the portal. Talk so- about bank account scraping.
1: To me, this seems like such a great idea, but it seems like it's very underutilized. And so let's not worry about what the people that aren't using it, because <laughs> the people that are using it a ton, what are they doing different? And why are they having more people use it? Like if I was a mortgage broker and I'm like, I like the idea of bank account scraping, but I don't know how to either convince my client of
0: it or walk me through what you'd recommend there. I would say, I mean, you're getting the bank statements, first of all, up to the last statement date. So, you know, if it was April 30th, we would have gotten them up to April 1st. So you're not getting those partial statements. So the client still has to get you that follow up interim statement. But what it does is, is it gets you the exact statement from the bank unedited. It has the logo, it has everything. It's like the bank mailed you those statements right to your mortgage broker office and put it right inside your deal. And that's a big deal because tracing that link right back to the bank for those bank statements, it provides a level of security to the lender that you're placing the mortgage with, saying, Hey, well, you can see the direct chain of where that document came from. And here's their interim statement. The count numbers match up. And then they can say, okay, great. Thank you. That's you know. So for someone not using it, my suggestion is is that it's not perfect because some clients don't have e-statements turned on. So you have to, you know, we put big notices up to clients saying, "Hey, you have to enable e-statements on your online banking in order for this to work." So there's a couple little processes that brokers need to learn to coach their clients to, "Hey, are e-statements on? Great. Then when you log into the system, you're going to be able to." choose the bank account that you want to provide me statements from right online. And you don't have to pay anything. It's just pick up the $2 cost and we're off and running. So for $2 to get perfect statements in, I think it's a pretty
1: good idea. Right, and do you see any brokers, because I know that you're also involved in Finmo on the back end on some things, and so that are heavy users of links as part of their process, or is it just something people are using mostly
0: one-off? You know what, it's kind of like the CRA tax document when it was in its heyday. Some brokers would use it almost on every deal, and then you ask somebody else right next to them, yeah, I use it twice last year, I think. So it depends on the processes and it depends on the broker. I can't give you any sort of average amount of people using the system, but there's a significant amount of people that are using it and they like it because they get the documents right into there. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, it's too bad that it just doesn't
1: scrape the actual like transaction history rather than the statements because then it could get up to
0: the today versus yeah. Right. right, I know, and yeah. it can't scrape TFSA accounts or RSP accounts from the banks either right now. So it's checking or savings account, and that's what you get. It helps that way. And I'm sure it's going to expand. Right. Know? So so what are you most excited about in
1: terms of technology that you think is going to help brokers in the coming say next year? You know, but the first thing that
0: pops into my head is AI, right? Yeah. And Chad GPT, all that sort of stuff. It's just seeing the explosion of that everywhere, people using it and different companies using it. I use it for summarizing ideas and kind of coalescing them together. But I think that we're going to see some interesting innovation around AI with regards to helping with mortgages, chatting, for instance, uh, Intercom, CRM chat functionality, a program that some people use. It's introduced it in a beta where, you know, if you are a customer success agent and you're helping somebody out, and all of a sudden you got to get somebody who has more experience to come into the call and jump in and start answering questions, you can hit the little summarize button and it takes all of the conversation and summarizes it into bullet points right there for that person jumping into the call. Oh, that's cool. So brokers could use it, you know, for instance, on Finno, you can set up an Intercom account and you can chat live with your clients as they're doing a mortgage application through the chat feature. So if the client said, hey, I'm doing this application, what's this about? And if it's within your working hour would say, oh, that's no problem, don't worry about that, just do this. And okay, great, this is my first time doing a mortgage application. Oh, your first time home buyer, fantastic. Here's a document for you to read, right? And you can share a document. Mm-hmm. So anything to improve the customer experience is where I see things going. So speeding up the application process, document collection, getting clients more engaged in the process, and by engaged i mean doing your part to reach out doing your part to inform them if they're a first time home buyer how do you inform them when do you inform them you know how often do you touch them during a live deal is it you know if they have a subject removal are you talking to them every day or is it every second day right so it's the processes that you know you learn because you're getting introductions from people through it hey this deal was great they introduced me to their uncle he's buying a place and now he introduced me you know i'm doing some things right here so you know, and you get those ideas by learning up and by making mistakes, and looking to people that are busier and seeing what they're doing. And that's what I see a lot. Is that, that's what I love about our industry. First and foremost, is that we all share ideas. You know, mm. and everyone's willing to share ideas. Everyone's willing to, yeah, go ahead, use it. You know, use that map, use that document. Here's an idea for it. You have to implement it. And funniest thing I remember, I had a real estate agent come into my office, knew when I was going to meet years ago. And he says, oh, hey, I see a mortgage broker office opened up the next mall over. You know, Does that bother you? I'm like, no, no. I said, sort I of took over a Starbucks jug of coffee and dropped it off and introduced myself. Oh, really? Why would you do that? I'm like, there's 35,000, 36,000 households in the city I live in. You know, I can't do 1% of the mortgages each year. There's plenty of business for all of us. right?" right. And the realtors, some realtors, I should say, they don't always think like that. So it's interesting. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So-
1: if you could create a mortgage app that does something totally unique, what would it do and why?
0: Oh, gosh, that's a great question, Scott.
1: Fair I can thank ChatGPT for that question. I said, give me five interesting questions to ask a mortgage broker for a podcast who has a technical background. And this is what it said. So this question came from ChatGPT because I was like, that is a damn good question. That is a really I'm, good like, this, question. I know. I know. I know what I would say to this question because I've been thinking about it, but I want to hear what you say and I am happy to share
0: what I think too. You know what I would say would be on the lead side of things because I've always felt when I was brokering full-time that as soon as I met with a client or spoke to a client, that relationship is created. So the lead nurturing, so whatever we can do from the time that someone is interested, whether they come to us from social media, whether they come to us from our website, searching on Google, if we can capture them, and I know what's out there, I would use video a combination of video and saying hey it's Joe thanks for coming to my website check it out and I've got something started with that now but I would build that out so I would be able to follow up personally with these leads because I mean I don't know what the percentage of you know average people closing leads that they get is but I would say that's where probably when the largest percentage of fall-offs is is when you, these leads are coming in so if you can somehow capture more leads you've got them Right, and you worked hard to get them, what can we do to keep them and to make them feel comfortable and that they want to stick with you and use you for their mortgage eventually? Yeah,
1: I call it the lead to app ratio. So like how many leads do you get and how many apps do you get? And so I did a podcast recently on this, that different ratios, lead to app, app to fund, and then fund to referral. So like how many closed mortgages, how many referrals are you generating? So people don't think about that, but like if you have a great process and you baked it in, there should be a ratio there as they say, whatever you focus on improves. If you focus on it, you can improve it. Can yeah. imagine if every two mortgages you fund, you got another one. Like man, it would make your business so much easier, right? Oh,
0: one hundred percent. I remember. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just I remember my brother when he said, you know, after three to five years in the mortgage business, if you're not getting seventy five percent of your business from your existing database, you're doing something wrong. You've done something wrong, right? You need to be calling your database. You need to be, you know, from the moment that you're introduced to them, you, you're you. But you have the things that you do to make them feel comfortable, to make them feel like it's easy to introduce you to their family member, to their friend
1: that's looking to do it. Interesting. So one of the things that happened, so I hosted this, and a guy said, "Hey, I've created a calculator to track my own," and I, he took the number of leads, leads to app, app to closed, you know, volume per, and then he put in the ratio, increase everything by ten percent, which actually isn't as good as improving one area, right? Like so, the, increasing everything by ten percent. So let's say. He had 400 leads and his income was $120,000. And by increasing everything by 10%, he went to 000, or no, $199,000. So it was a $70,000 bump. i shot back and I said, what if you just increase the lead to app ratio by 20% and forget about everything else? Everything else stay the same. You basically go from $120,000 to $240,000. It's a $40,000 bigger jump by just focusing on that lead to app ratio. But yeah. back to your point, if you do a better job on the front end, quality leads do matter. So you know, depending on where they're coming from, so focus on quality but then focus on converting as many of those people as possible into apps, you will have a better business, I think, like, yeah, um, no question. So-
0: um, 100%, going back to Finmo, that's, you know, the three in our analytics, the reporting section, the first phase of it that we launched was the lead to application, application to fund, and lead to fund ratio, because historically speaking, those are the three areas that we need to focus on in our businesses, and where are you lacking? So by showing a percentage, you can quickly jump in and look and say, oh, boy, man, I'm floundering here. What's going on? And you can you know, look at your processes and change it up and go back and listen to some past episodes of I Love Mortgage Broker and figure
1: it out. Or, yeah, get some help or coaching or talk to people that are good at that. So there's this yeah. great book, it's a Theory of Constraints. And it's Eli Goldrat, who's this brilliant dude. And it was the idea that your business can only go as fast or grow as fast as the narrowest constraint. Think of it like a, a pipe, the narrow point. Or get a factory, it can only go as fast as the slowest machine. And so you can optimize everything around it. But if it's still, if you don't fix the slowest machine, still the output is the same. And so to me, for most people, it's the lead to app is the biggest gain that they probably will get. Unless if it's at 50%, then you're probably getting good quality leads, high referrals, you know. And then it's like, okay, well, now what is my app to fund ratio? And look in there and start playing around with those. But if you don't even know those numbers, how do you even know if you have a problem or where you should focus
0: on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I think about when I started getting more business, when I stopped doing so much underwriting for my brother at the time and helping him out and, and really pushing to get leads coming in for my business in, in 2005, six and seven, it was awesome, right? And he said to me, I remember he said, Joe, he goes, you make, you know, 10 phone calls a week to business partners. And you go out for at least five coffees, your first six months of your life as a mortgage professional, you go out and meet with realtors, you make appointments with financial advisors, accountants, whomever what your focus is, you work on them, you nurture them every time you meet with them, you inform them, you're going to become friends with some of them. And some of them are going to fall off. He goes, but if you do that for six months, by the time you're done those six months, you will be so busy. That you will think that you can't keep on doing this. He goes, but you're going to do it. But you're going to fo- only focus on the people that are working and referring deals to you. Mm-hmm. And you know, like the skeptic in me is like, really? Okay, well, so I did it, and I did. It and you know, by the end of 2006, it's like, holy, I'm busy. What about this part of my business? I got all these business coming in here from these new partners. Then it turns to the middle section, and that's when he yeah. said, when you're working on a file, you're working on a file. And as you get busier, you got to think, when am I going to hire somebody? What mm-hmm. do I bring in an unlicensed or a licensed assistant? And and that, you know, kind of takes me to, you know, your client journey as a broker. What do you do from lead through to renewal? And so that's the middle part. And that's, you know, write it down. You know, I've shared that document, the client journey that started as a scratch pad from working with my brother to, going on to a Word document. And I think I got your client journey at some point, And I pulled parts of that into that. And Craig Vetter had his hand in it. And he made some changes. And other people had suggestions. And it's a living, breathing document that every broker should have is that client journey from lead through to renewal. What do you do with your business? And right. make it repeatable. That's what I learned really quick, is that when the volume comes in, can you handle it? Can you underwrite it? Do you have a, a deal desk for the B deals that suck up so much of your time, focus on the A and get the commercial and the B deals away from your desk and make sure those clients are well looked after. So it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I always find like good questions
1: actually help uncover like opportunities or just help you look at your business. So one I heard recently was, if you could only get clients from your current clients, what would your process look like? So if you were like the only way you could get more clients is I like, got you're my client Joe. I'm not doing any other prospecting except I need to do such a great job for you and bake in asks and follow-ups. How good would my process be? I bet you it would be dang good. So I thought that was a really good question. Another good question that I heard was like, if you doubled your lead volume tomorrow, what would break first? Because that's probably the constraint. It's like, okay, that would break. Okay, there, go fix that, right? Yeah. And so then by asking some of these questions, it gives you perspective that sometimes we forget to look at or we just don't notice. I think that's interesting. So, what do you do to stay up to date on the latest technology trends and stuff in the mortgage industry? Like, what do you follow? Is there certain newsletters, blogs? Like, if I want to be more tech
0: savvy, what stuff are you looking at? Uh, you know what? I really like the blog that uh, Zapier has. They talk about their integrations and how they link up, but it's really relevant. And they, they talk about, you know, growth in business, and of course, you know, how to automate and and help you with that growth. They have a great feed and they do a good job across YouTube and Twitter. If you use Twitter, they have a good feed on there. I like some of the economists. I got to say that I'm a bit of a finance geek. I love Benjamin Tell's stuff and reading that. Few of the episodes that Ron Butler has done with you, I, I love his take on things, and I like actually like to go back to a couple of old episodes from like 2017 and see what he said came true. See how many became? Yeah, we should do that. Do like a, yeah. uh, a little, red, a little, little a chat retro chat GPT
1: and say how many of these actually predictions were accurate, and probably like, yeah. oh, these ones, and you'd be like, okay, that'd be an interesting for some sound bites. The one that I that I've been following is this guy Mike Del who is a real estate blogger, and he Mm -hmm. basically does a ton of analysis on the publicly traded real estate companies like EXP and Compass. There's a few others, but he does some, it's really interesting. Like They're well-researched, and I quite enjoy just understanding the overall macro trends in the real estate side. It's not mortgage-related, but sometimes they do talk about how some of these real estate companies, they embed a mortgage solution and it rarely works. Like it's funny, like you'd think if you're doing these millions of like tons of transactions, you'd think adding the mortgage component would actually, but it often doesn't work. And no. uh, which is interesting to me, right? Like people would th- assume that you're good at one thing, the next thing should be easy, but it's not necessarily true.
0: No, it doesn't. It doesn't always work out. I did a project with a realtor partner years ago, many years ago, and it that just proved it. This won't always work. Another one I'd really like is um, Steli FT from Close CRM real real good thinker in the sales and follow-up game, lead game. He's got some great stuff that he does that he recommends for people on. When do you stop following up with the lead? And he says, the okay. only time the only time you stop following up is when they tell you to stop. Right. That's it. He goes, oh you know, your communication to that lead, the spaces between may change as time goes by and they haven't bought with you. But continuously communicating to them however you're going to do it, whether it's by email newsletter or they've signed up to your feed or whatever it is. He goes, you're going to be front of mind for them. So never stop following up until they tell you to stop. And that's one of the things I got from him that was really interesting. But he's got some great stuff as well that's worthwhile looking at. Yeah, I've been using
1: clothes for one of my businesses for like the last four years. And I quite like it as a Mm -hmm. You know, for what it does, like it's not a mortgage thing, but it is a pretty great sales CRM and kind of has everything you need for that type of business. So let me ask this question. So if you could create a product for millennials or Gen Z's, what features do you think it would need to have? So if you're thinking to more the younger
0: generation, what would that look like? I'd have a timer for focus time. A little timer, a little locks time locks out your phone when you start and locks out your phone. You can't. Locks, do any- locks at your phone and maximizes your browser window to what you're working on, and you're not allowed to collapse it for 20 minutes. And then it turns off and it brings back up all the things you want to look at. I'm being silly, but you know what? I think it's something with all of us. How long can you sit down and work on something straight? You're working on a mortgage application and you're going through the deal and you're underwriting it and you're looking at it and you've got the documents up on your other screen and you're looking at the documents and you're diving into it and you're, you're laser focused on that. know how long does it take you to underwrite you know on a modern system it should probably take you about 20 minutes from start to finish to go through and look at everything and have it there for you and and have a a decision made so i think all of us need to have that okay i need to step up get up raise my stand-up desk or do something and move away and then come back i think that's the biggest thing is attention spans we get distracted so easily and you know i'm from the generation where you know, outside and play and home when the streetlights come back on. Right. And it's a little bit different, but I'm, you know, smartphones, I'm distracted just as easily as anyone else by a smartphone and by people doing it. So I think a setting a focused time and putting that into your day where, you know, you need to block out an hour two hours. And I think everyone should do this as a mortgage professional block out two hours per week, where you're working in your business and you're looking at your client journey and saying, man, I'm not really doing that. When's the last time? Right. Who the- does that really
1: well is Alex McFadden, like that guy is absolutely like, Obsessed with removing friction from the loan process, from looking at, you know, every part of it. And it's a never-ending, you don't just make a customer journey be done. It's like this is a dynamic, like you said, a living dynamic document that should be reviewed consistently and look for any areas of confusion, friction, opportunities for, to create moments yeah. of wow. And yeah. just you know all that stuff again and again and just make that thing into a absolute amazing process where you could build your business based on the current clients without even having to do any prospecting how great would that be
0: exactly and you should be doing that after like i said after three to five years that's where the majority of your business should be coming from then you can really narrow down and work with who you want to work with outside of your database right and i remember talking to um adam coltish when he got back into the business and he talked about what he did with his billboards going into a Tim Hortons and how he had the, you know, face and number up on the drive-through side. And he was just amazed at how much business he got from that. And remember him sort of just rejuvenated his business and listen to that. And that was inspiring. Right. And, but that's what he did. But then, you know, he's got the processes in place when he's doing mortgages too. So his clients are well looked after. So that's what allows you to do that. So yeah, for, the new people coming in, I think it's it's really looking up and seeing who's successful and emulating what they're doing with your flavor on it, but taking the time to work in your business and and really focus on and, and getting rid of the stuff that you just don't need. And that's why it comes down to you know siloing your systems that you're using in your business. Don't get distracted by someone. Hey, have you tried this app? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Say no, I'm good. I've got my systems. I'm using them. You know, you've got your thought leaders, you follow who, you know, you look for that are giving you suggestions on, hey, check this out. This has really saved me some time. It just helps you stay focused and not get distracted. Mm -hmm. Shiny thing was my thing. Oh, shiny thing. Right. But. Oh, dude, I'm cursed with that. Although it's uh, something I'm working on. Okay. Any other last questions I should have asked you in this conversation? You know, I have so many conversations every week with brokers and it really comes down to the beginning, you know, getting into the business look to those that are successful, emulate what they're doing, create a client journey, even if it's just a one-page thing, grow it, change it, work on it, borrow ideas. Even for people that have been in the business for quite a while that I meet with, a lot of them don't have one and that's okay, right? And they, just, they go along, they get leads, they work on the deals, they know what they do, but it's never too late to implement a client journey. It's never too late to change what you're doing in your business, to make it fresher and to get more business and just to run a better business. It's never too late to start mm-hmm. working in your business. Never, is. No, I totally agree, man. That's really good. So where do people find you online, Joe, if they're looking for you? Well, they can find me at joetomkins.ca, my mortgage broker site. I'm still licensed active. I'm working uh, with the team at Finmo and Lendesk and training brokers and helping them integrate their systems during the day. And talking to mortgage clients in the evening and handed them off to my team to get them approved. So yeah,
1: that's how. Yeah. I know our team has had lots of great interactions and conversations with you with getting Finmo and stuff set up. So thanks for that. And uh, yeah, man, always good to chat. Love technology, love mortgages. These two things are like, you know, chocolate and peanut butter for me. It's like, I can't find anything, but I'd like talking about more than, technology intersects with mortgage, maybe sales and marketing, I guess those will be the, I'll be like, you know, chocolate and ice cream, the fudge and ice cream would be like the marketing and sales, all of those things too, but they all combine, right? So yeah, they sure do. But
0: no, chat GP is taking away our marketing now. So
1: we can just talk about, you know, technology and mortgage. Well, but I, you still got to know how to use it. So like, you know, we're going to become editors, not creators where we mm-hmm. start there and then take the ideas. And then, you know, thing is that if once everybody's using it, then it's going to, everything's going to look the same again. And then you still need to differentiate. And so the way you differentiate is you still need to add your own, you know, authentic voice. And so you have got to
0: come in with the right prompts. You've got to come in with your idea. You know, it's It's just back to
1: what I said earlier. If you ask good questions to chat GPT or know how to ask it better questions, you're going to get better results. So not two people using the same tool. One of them is going to create something amazing. The other one's going to be like, well, that's OK. But, you know, so it's still going to come down to the user. The tool doesn't do everything for you. You have to still know how to ask it questions and then know what to do with it once you get the answers. So. But I think it's an amazing time to be alive. I think that there's going to be so much things change. It's uh, exciting and terrifying at the same time, you know, when you look at some of these technological advances. It really,
0: it really is. And, you know, and it's from security to people still sending out paper applications. Like I won't mention any names that I know very well. People just got to modernize. If you don't modernize and if you don't, you know, start doing these sort of things, you'll be okay for a couple of years. But eventually, you are what's happened to my business? It's like, well, you've happened to your business. Right. I'll leave it on this thought. I saw a quote recently
1: by a guy named Dan Martell, who's a wicked, smart SaaS guy. And he said, You're not going to lose your job to AI. You're going to lose your job to a person using AI. And I was like, He's absolutely right. Yeah. The person using AI better than you is going to outcompete you. It's like if you think back to like when, you know, building houses and you had a hammer and nail and you got to hold up the nails and pound them in. Then somebody comes along with an air nailer where it's like, Dick, tick, 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 and like that person is significantly more productive, doing the same job, but just so much more productive than you that you can't possibly compete with the old tools. And so, no,
0: no, it's, you guys
1: are listening. Yep, You've got absolutely. to embrace this stuff. Don't be afraid of it. No, nope, absolutely not. Good point. Okay, thanks, Joe. Thank you, Scott. Okay, peace out. Hey, hopefully you found that conversation with Joe inspiring. I know that the last few episodes we've done have been around technology. I do feel like the technology is gonna make a quantum leap in the next six months, six to 12 months the mortgage space is going to look radically different in terms of some of the tools that are going to be available, which is extremely exciting for mortgage brokers. But you also, if you're a mortgage broker and you're ignoring this stuff, you're going to be at a massive disadvantage when somebody comes along with tools that can do their job better, more efficiently and create better customer experience. So don't miss this train. It's really, really important. In this next segment, Ask the Expert, I talked to Ben about where to find reverse mortgage leads. Hey Ben, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey
2: Scott, good to be back. So, hey, what topic are we gonna talk about today
1: with reverse mortgages?
2: So, I mean, you know, obviously we've been doing a lot of deals with brokers and, you know, sometimes we ask brokers, where are you getting your reverse mortgage leads? Where are you finding them? Where are you having success? You know, obviously with more competition entering the market, you know, things like Google and, you know, AdWords and stuff like that is getting a lot more expensive. So there's other ways that people are finding leads for reverse mortgages and I wanted to chat about, you know, what some of those things are. Right, basically
1: we're gonna jump into three areas that you've seen people successfully generate reverse mortgage leads that anybody could go use today, even if they're not an SEO expert or something. So, or they're not necessarily going to spend a bunch of money on that. Okay. So what would be the first area where you see people being able to find these uh, reverse mortgage clients?
2: So, I mean, this one, the first one almost goes without saying, but it really is the most powerful source of leads for a lot of folks is brokers, existing books of business, right? So, I mean, for example, we had one broker that actually closed four deals with us last month. You know, we asked him about sort of, you know, what he was doing. He hadn't been doing a lot of reverse mortgage business before, um, I think he probably sent us one or two deals before. But what he did is he told us that in January, he did a scan of his whole book. He, and he's been a broker for a long time. He did a scan of his whole book, he basically identified everybody in his book that was over the age of 60. And then he basically started doing this sort of, I think he sent three or four emails, basically focused on reverse mortgage education, really, really focused on education and assuaging sort of people's concerns around reverse mortgage and talking about reverse mortgages. And you got a really interesting influx of leads that actually translated to him for like four closed deals that we got done from in March. So, you know, that existing books of business, obviously limited to the you know people that are 55 plus, can be an amazing source. He segmented his
1: database and just ran that marketing campaign to the 55 plus people in his yeah list. Yeah. So it was
2: emails, or what did he send? Uh, yeah, he mentioned that he sent like three or four emails, um, right? Touching on different sort of topics around reverse mortgages. I think he set up a little landing page that was like specifically focused around reverse mortgages for himself, um, yeah. and he had some good success with that. Right anybody
1: sitting on a database right now that's a great idea if you've got a database with you know 55 plus clients don't go hey do you want a reverse mortgage start just educating people about. All of the nuance of it, and then if they're interested or they need it, they'll put their hand up.
2: It's so important because a lot of people come into it with sort of negative perceptions of reverse mortgages right and the only way to deal with that. And the brokers that are the most successful are totally education first. Right, teach, is good. Okay, so what will be the secondary
1: you see people having success finding reverse mortgage leads? So some
2: people have developed interesting sort of referral networks around the sources of need for reverse mortgage, right? In the same way the brokers establish referral sources around realtors, for example, because you're like totally well positioned, right source to the need mm-hmm. for a traditional mortgage. Realtors are maybe not in the same way a good referral source for reverse mortgages because it's sort of a different use case. But what are people that are close to the source of need People like family lawyers, right? People that are dealing with things like separations or estate resolutions or inheritances—these transitionary moments in people's lives. If you talked about on a previous segment, you know, home care providers, you know, long-term care facilities, because sometimes one spouse is going into a long-term care facility, but one is staying at home, and it, you know, that's a very expensive proposition. Um, right. So people that are providing services close to the point of need.
1: Right, and even like uh, healthcare providers potentially, like if you know, so basically anybody that would be servicing those clients 55 plus and would be aware of a major financial yeah. expense coming.
2: Right? Contractors like, or, you know, accessibility that, vent- you know, people that sell like accessibility. Yeah. All of a sudden you products. need to be able to put a wheelchair
1: ramp on your house and like, yeah. you know, so stuff like that, right. Or right. do some renovations because you have health concerns and you have to make some adjustments to your property. Yeah. Right?
2: Find one vendor and become their broker of choice.
1: Yeah. And find one vendor in every one of those categories, you know, yeah. at least one vendor that you can then yeah. start to partner with. That's a great idea. All right, so you got database and to target the 55 plus segment service providers that solve problems for the 55 plus community, that typically would be a larger, you know, expense, not something they're just going to pay for on their credit card. So what will be the last kind of area you see people having success?
2: So we've seen a lot of people have success with social media. I think when most people think about reverse mortgages, 55 plus social media might not be top of mind. And yeah, you're probably not going to find a lot of, you know, reverse mortgage customers on TikTok, but seniors are all over Facebook um it's actually become a problem for facebook apparently where like they've got like user growth in sort of that older segment but not so much in the younger segment what we've found in our own experience advertising on in social media on facebook and stuff like that is the leads are actually very low cost and you have sort of decent targeting ability you know in those channels now the drawback the drawback is that the leads that come from those channels are typically much earlier in their journey to actually closing on a reverse mortgage you know the the, the level of intent they might not be ready to immediately close on a reverse mortgage. But the thing about reverse mortgage leads that we've found over the last couple of years is that whatever situation caused somebody to click on that ad in the first place or like, you know, look into a reverse it's mortgage. It's probably not going away. It's, it's probably not, only it's, going to get worse over 10 time. years. It's not going to go away. It's probably okay. going to get worse, right? Because they're not going back to work. Their income is not going to pick up. Their expenses probably are. So if you invest time, if you invest into nurturing campaigns, education campaigns, email campaigns over time, make sure that you're top of mind for that person. When the time comes that they are ready to act, social media can become you know a very, very powerful source of leads.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: But you got, again, you got to play bit the
1: longer game, right? Which is true. Of a lot of content yeah. now is play the long game and it's very profitable. It's when you're trying yeah. to get in and out really quick. And we
2: started doing that a couple of years ago and now we're really starting to reap the benefits from it.
1: Right, because you've been stuck with it. Okay, so any kind of final thoughts on this? On finding, you know, suggestions for brokers. You're like, hey, where do I find some more reverse mortgage leads?
2: Yeah, I mean, this, I think obviously, like, you might not be finding a lot of reverse mortgage customers in the same place that you're finding, you know, traditional mortgage customers. Different places, but positioning yourself kind of close to the source of need for capital, the things that cost people money, you know in retirement. That's a great place to find leads. Obviously, your existing database, if you have one, focused on fifty-five plus customers. Things like social media if you're willing to invest in once of a longer term nurturing effort can be a great source of low-cost leads right i think it's awesome so if you guys are listening to this go check
1: out ben and his team at bloomfin.ca the reverse mortgage company you guys have been growing like crazy and uh, they can help you with putting these together they have two scenarios one they can actually just take the client because they understand the product really well and they will walk the client through to explain how it all works and then pay you as if you did the file yourself or if you want to be more hands-on with the client. You can do it that way. So it's fantastic. Ben, thanks for chatting with me, man. These are some really great ideas. Thanks a lot, Scott. All right. Thanks again for listening. And hopefully you got inspired from my conversation with Joe and with Ben. If you're listening to this, I encourage you to go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com. You can set up a free power search account and you can keyword search all of our past episodes. And You can talk about, look for technology, you can look for reverse mortgage, any topic you can think of we have had probably multiple conversations and experts talk about it. You can jump right to those parts of the episodes and go into full screen mode. And you can actually see all the words and text. So if somebody says something that sounds like a great script, just copy it, copy, paste, apply it to your business. Check it out at Brokering.com. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an
0: I Love Mortgage Brokering production.